There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender. I'll not Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps the greatest apostle Jesus had was the apostle who said he had been born out of due time. The same apostle who said he was the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because he had persecuted the church of God. I'm speaking, of course, of the apostle Paul. More congregations were established by him than any other apostle recorded in the revelation of God that we call the Bible, the book. Only God knows how many men, women, boys, and girls were immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, to receive salvation, to have their sins washed away, by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, because of his preaching. One of the epistles and some of the congregations and people who were the fruit of his ministry were the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia were not denominational churches. They were undenominational. Denominationalism, as we know it today in Christendom, would not rear its ugly head until several years after the apostles of Christ died. The seeds of denominationalism were being planted by false teachers, ministers of Satan, during the days of the apostles. But the full fruit would not appear until after they departed from this life. Because these churches of Galatia were not denominational, each of them taught the same doctrine, the Apostles' Doctrine. Baptism was always administered by immersion, never by sprinkling. It was always administered to lost, repentant adult believers, never to infants. The Lord's Supper was always observed on the first day of every week, not once a month, not once a quarter. The church that Jesus built, the church of the New Testament, always met every Lord's Day, Sunday, 
to commemorate the Lord's resurrection from the dead. God's people were called Christians, without any hyphenated denominational name preceding it. The Word of God was always taught and preached, sometimes until midnight. As far as their doctrine and practices are concerned, many so-called churches of this century would be unrecognizable by those who were members of the church in the first century as being the church established by Christ and his apostles. With all this being said, we ought not be under the illusion that all was fine and dandy, sweet as candy, even in the congregations established by Paul. This certainly was not true with the churches of Galatia. False teachers, Judaizers, had slithered in among the members of the Galatian churches with their doctrine that Old Testament circumcision was necessary for salvation. Their message was a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This doctrine of the Judaizer said belief in Christ, repentance from sin, and immersion into the death of Jesus was not enough to be right with God. According to these first century ministers of Satan, a person also had to be circumcised. When the one who had preached the gospel to them, the one who was at the head of the spear in the establishment of the various congregations throughout the province of Galatia, the one who had exhorted them to obey the gospel, the Apostle Paul, heard what was beginning to be taught in these churches, he came up for air, ready to defend the truth. Regardless of who taught the false doctrine of circumcision, and regardless of who was being persuaded by the false teachers, Paul would not stand for it. No, not for a minute. He would not stand idly by playing footsie with those he had converted with both feet, he jumped into the battle to defend the gospel and confronted the issue head-on to nip it in the bud before it bloomed. He didn't placate. He didn't hug and kiss. He didn't dance around the issue. Before he finished writing the first page of his epistle, he let him have it without equivocating. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The gospel message of salvation by the blood of Christ was important to Paul, and he was determined to get those he had converted back on the one gospel message track. He would later write to the Ephesians, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But before he did, he wrote to the churches of Galatia, 
that there is only one gospel plan of salvation, and it did not include the resurrection of the Old Testament ritual of circumcision of the flesh. The kind of preaching that Apostle Paul did will get a faithful preacher of Christ in trouble every time. To those who know not the Scriptures, and to those who care nothing about the Scriptures, the kind of preaching Paul did to the Galatians is too much hellfire and damnation than they can take. It is not positive, it is not loving, and it is not in consideration of the feelings of some people. It is nothing but mean-spirited pharisaical legalism, and there is no room for it in the 21st century church. It stands for nothing and falls for everything. Neither Jesus nor any of his apostles would be welcomed into most church buildings in your town or mine. But it would be nothing new to them. They frequently shook the dust from off their feet. How nasty and narrow-minded can you get, Paul, by saying that those who do not preach the same gospel message you preach should be accursed, be damned? Are you saying that those who preach Jesus was not born of a virgin should be damned? Are you saying that those who preach that what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, is not true for this age and should be damned? Paul, are you saying that those who preach that baptism has nothing to do with salvation should be accursed? Are you saying that those who preach one church is as good as another church should be damned? What are you saying, Paul? Did we hear you right? Do you really believe that if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel than what you apostles have preached, let that angel be damned? Why, Paul, do you realize how many nationally known, worldwide famous preachers you are condemning to hell? Ladies and gentlemen, Apostle Paul knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying what the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to say. The problem wasn't Paul. And the problem in so-called Christendom is not that we all can't get along with each other. The problem is the modern-day pussyfooting got it made in the shade, intimidated professional clergy has lost its way. It has set aside apostolic doctrine for denominational doctrines and creeds and dogmas and confessions of faith. If the clergy and the divided hierarchies of religion would get back to the book, and only the book, all this division would disappear overnight. It is noteworthy that Paul used the strong word accursed, damned, twice in back-to-back -back verses. This was not accidental. It was on purpose. It was the purpose of the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write what he wrote. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to say it. I don't even like having to hear myself say it. I know it is not going to be received well by some people who are listening, but I have to say it. When Paul said, let him be accursed, 
he was saying, let him go to hell. Ladies and gentlemen, if this sounds shocking, it is. This is how serious it is to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let the person who perverts the gospel of Christ go to hell if he will not repent. Paul was not afraid of talking about hell, and neither are ministers of Satan. Like all the other subjects in God's word, they know they must talk about hell if they are going to be successful in appearing to the public as being legitimate preachers of the word. After all, one of the favorite subjects of preachers is hell. Why, those who know little about the word of God think preachers get their kicks from preaching about hell. So ministers of Satan accommodate the lost world by also speaking about hell occasionally, not often, but often enough to deceive the ignorant. If I were a minister of Satan, I would, and this is what I would say. I would say that the word hell is in the Bible, but it is a bad translation of the Greek text. Besides, it doesn't really mean what some hell preachers say it means. It certainly does not mean a place where bad people go to scream, holler, yell, squirm, and writhe in pain for all eternity. What kind of loving God would put people through that kind of misery and pain forever? No, as a minister of Satan, I would tell my audience that hell is just a figure of speech that should not be taken literally. I would preach that hell is an antiquated theological, mythological doctrine that was preached by screaming old-time preachers to scare the hell out of people, to drive them into the arms of Jesus. Why, we use the word hell in our daily conversations all the time, and we do not mean the hell of the old-timers. Some people boast how they have gone through hell and high water, to achieve what they have achieved, or to have what they have. But as a preacher who is not part of the ministers of Satan crowd, believe me when I tell you, no, they haven't. No one goes through the hell of the Bible. Once they enter hell, they don't leave. And then there are people who tell other people to go to hell. I've been told that myself. Ministers of Satan tell us that people who say this don't really mean the hell that Bible preachers preach about. What they mean is they want someone who doesn't agree with them to go away, get out of their life. Or sometimes people speak of the lives they live as being a living hell. They're poor, don't have much in life, not much to eat wear trashy clothes, and live in hell holes. People who live like that have a hellish existence. It certainly does not mean there is a real place called hell. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to hell, you will give whatever you had in this life to live in that hellish existence once again. But of course, you can't. 
we hear people joke about hell and say something like, well, if I go to hell, Jack and Jill will be right there with me. <laughs> we'll drink some suds to cool off and raise some more hell. Sometimes, especially in the summer, people talk about the weather and say, why, it's hotter than hell. They don't really mean there is a real hell that is hot. They just mean it is as hot as the hell pictured in the Bible, which isn't really real, but, well, you get the idea. It is strange that hell is a popular word used in our secular culture that changes with each new generation, but the Bible does not change. It is not written to accommodate the most recent cultural trend. The Word of God is as Peter said it is in 1 Peter 1, verse 24. It endures forever. It is timeless. It is not surprising that ministers of Satan persuade their disciples that hell is not a real place but is only a figure of speech. I mean, they are servants of the one who is himself destined for the bottomless pit of torment. They know their eternal destination and are hell-bent, no pun intended, to take as many people with them as possible, especially those who have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I have said before, so now I say again, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Those words of 1 Peter 5, verse 8 are addressed to Christians who have been saved from their sins, not to lost people who are lost in their sins. Despite the pressure placed upon them by the world and the modernized, sissified church, ministers of Christ must continue to preach among other things, the doctrine of hell. The best defense for believing and preaching the doctrine of hell is that the sinless Christ, the only begotten Son of God, went to the cross so men and women, boys and girls, could be saved from sin that would otherwise condemn them to hell. Perhaps the greatest proof there is a real hell is the cross of Christ. If there is no hell, if hell is a figment of medieval imaginations, Jesus made the biggest mistake anyone could ever possibly make. His death was in vain. His death was pointless. His death is meaningless. He should never have come to this earth. He should never have been sent to this earth. His death did not help anyone. But none of this is true. There is a hell and the cross of Calvary proves it. If there is no hell, there is no heaven. If there is no everlasting punishment for sinning against the Holy God, there is no eternal life for obeying and following the Holy God. Jesus said in his great Mount Olivet Discourse of Matthew 25 that at the universal judgment of all nations, he will separate them as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats to the goats standing at his left hand, he will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into everlasting punishment. 
Jesus was either a truth-teller or a lying lunatic. Those who do not believe he meant what he said in Mark 16:16 16, 16, do not believe he meant what he said in Matthew 25, verses 41 and 46, or in any other place he spoke about hell. What ministers of Satan will not tell their disciples is that to deny hell is to deny Christ. Jesus cannot be the incarnate God if he is a liar. Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. Hebrews 6-18 says it is impossible for God to lie. But ladies and gentlemen, it is not impossible for the ministers of Satan to lie. And they do, regularly. The opening of Apostle Paul's second epistle to the Church of the Thessalonians was more gentle, more palatable to those who seek comfort from God's word than was his letter to the churches of Galatia. He said in verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. But then he said what ministers of Satan will not tell you. God would judge those who had persecuted his people in Thessalonica. He would repay with tribulation those who troubled the Christians in that city. The Lord Jesus would be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is not image of the loving, forgiving God that ministers of Satan project from their pulpits. But God is a God of love, not a God of wrath, judgment, retribution, vengeance, and punishment. Ladies and gentlemen, the God of the Bible is offended when his only begotten Son is rejected. You might reject some people and some things in this life and get by with it, but rejecting God's perfect, sinless, sacrificial Son is not one of them. A price will be paid. The wages, the payment of sin, is death. The time the price is paid is of God's own choosing. And so is the place where the price is paid. It is the place the Word calls hell. That truth can be ridiculed, mocked, and trashed, but it cannot be extinguished. It is part of the eternal revelation of God Almighty. What people believe about hell is all over the map. There are the no-hellers, the four a little while hellers, and the eternal hellers. The only source for knowing who is right and who is wrong is God's Word. Someday every person listening to my voice is going to die. It may come sooner than you think. Perhaps even today, maybe tonight. There are two destinations for every living person. The choice is yours. Make it wisely and make it soon. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride She is the keeper of my soul She is the church of Christ I'll not surrender
Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Reidenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575, Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defender.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef at roadrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now, until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. A God.